What is Demystifying Research? Hosted by me, Kelly Harris. And me, Catherine Hoyt. Demystifying Research is a space where we dialogue on training, careers, and all things research. Everything from is research right for me to thinking about applications, mentorship, which research degree is right for me, handling failure and rejection, CVs versus resumes, and funding. This is a space where we engage in discussions around the questions we all have or have had when considering a career in research and science. As clinician scientists, we seek to answer questions and address issues that aren't clearly addressed in more formal spaces, things that weren't addressed in our clinical training, questions that we may not know how or where to begin to seek answers. This is not a space only for scientists and researchers, but for anyone who may be interested in science and research. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Thank you for joining us today. We're really excited to have Dr. Natasha Smet from Northern Arizona University and Lindsay Luo um, from New York University joining us today. Thank you so much to be for being here with us. Um, we are excited to talk with both of you about what it is like to be a graduate student coming from another country to study in the United States. Um, would could both of you introduce yourselves and a little bit about your background and what brought you to your current locations? Sure. Thank you for having us. Since uh, Lindsay is first on the list, I'll let her go ahead. <laughs> okay. Sure. So I'm Lindsay. I'm originally from Wuhan, China, and I came to the United States about 10 years ago. Um, for my master's degrees in social work and public health. And after that, I stayed at the same university at Washington University um, um, for like post-master employment. And I went, I did go unemployed for a while and then went back to China for a few months before I jumped back uh, to the United States and um, to, to work. So after, after that, I um, pursued uh, my PhD degree training and now in New York. And I am an assistant clinical professor at Northern Arizona University, like Catherine said in the introduction. I was born and raised in Johannesburg, South Africa. I was a foreign exchange student to Ontario, Canada, and love brought me to the United States. And I always knew that I wanted to become an occupational therapist, but as a first generation college student and immigrant, I didn't realize that it would be a long path to get there. And eventually I did pursue my OT degree. I have an undergrad degree in OT, and then I have an OTD from Toledo, Ohio. And I'm in the process of submitting my materials for my PhD program. So that's where I'm at. Congratulations. That's an exciting yeah. step. Thank that you. is really exciting news. Um, so you started kind of talking about this. Maybe can you tell us a little bit more about what made you interested in OT to begin with? You said you had always known that you kind of wanted to do this, but you just didn't know what the road was going to look like. Right. So when I was in high school, I had a classmate say, you know, you should be an OT. And I had no idea what OT was at that point. Uh, nobody in my family had graduated from high school or gone on to college. And I said, well, why do you think that is? She said, well, you're good at art and science. And, and OTs seem to be a little bit eclectic. And I said, well, thanks, thanks for sharing. And I'll definitely do some research. And upon further research, I thought it was a great fit for me. I couldn't believe what a unique and perfect fit it was. So that was always at the back of my mind. It's just something that I really wanted to do. And also had an interest in helping people. So I have to say that was a big thing. And I think the underlying reason why everybody knew that I had a very altruistic nature. And so it was just a good fit. Excellent. Um, that's, a, that's a cool story. I um, So I know, Lindsay, you you kind of came to OT in a different route. Um, you want to tell us a little bit about that and kind of both that and then the degree you're pursuing now, kind of like what your interests are. Yeah, sure. So um, I did my undergrad uh, degree in psychology, hoping to become a counselor, helping like a disadvantaged um, individuals. But then um, through like internships, 
back in China, I soon realized that was really a little bit unrealistic at that time because of their social infrastructure, for example, counseling services are not really covered by insurance. Um, so whoever can afford counseling wouldn't be the disadvantaged um, individuals that I want to help. So that's why I kind of shifted a little bit and pursued my degrees in social work and public health. I still don't know what OT is at that time, but I think it's the overlapping research interest kind of brought me to um, work with a professor at the um, program in occupational therapy, where I started to realize, oh, there were a lot of common connections between the um, values and the, the approaches we take in social work and in occupational therapy. What are you doing now? Uh, yeah, so I am pursuing a PhD in public health with a social and behavior sciences track uh, at the School of Global Public Health. I was thinking even a little bit that, you know, you kind of came to OT with this expertise in implementation science also, which I think is something that um, a lot of OTs, at least in our program, are starting to do more and more work in that kind of area and in that field. And so um, I was thinking about that as a connection too. I don't know if you see that as a connection also. Yeah, sure. And also I think just the, the general, I feel like in a program, people have a lot of passion in what they are devoted as a career. Um, and also like just a how helpful people are usually are. I think that the, the school atmosphere are very alike. Um, so that's a rich, really interesting dynamics I observe. So diving into both of your experiences a little bit, um, Natasha, I didn't know that you were in Canada before, um, actually. So I'm wondering if, if we can dive a little bit deeper and you can tell us a little bit about what made you come to the United States for graduate school, but even more so, what was that experience like for both of you? Oh boy, do you want do you want to start with me this time? Yeah, let's do it. I think one of the struggles that I had was just acculturation, you know, understanding that the process to get into graduate school was was very challenging. And I, I didn't have any mentors that I could lean on, really, other than some faculty that I knew. Um, so that that was a little bit challenging for me. And I think it was one of the reasons why I pushed starting graduate school off for a long time, or even going to college, even for my undergrad degree, I kept pushing it off because I kept thinking I wasn't ready to go and navigate the school system in the U.S. And I definitely didn't have the, the right supports. I didn't understand anything about the student loan process. I didn't understand a, a lot about financial literacy, if I reflect back. And I just didn't know where to start. I got really fortunate in that I ended up working for someone who kind of forced me to do some things. It kind of pushed me. And, and maybe now that you've worked with me for a while, Catherine, sometimes you just need that nudge, you know, for someone to say, yes, I see this, you're capable, you need to do it. Well, I had a boss that I worked for who threatened to fire me if I didn't complete both my college application and just start to look at the immigration process a little closer. So um, lots of challenges and they seemed really overwhelming at the time because English isn't my first language and understanding the paperwork was a real challenge for me. You're handed a packet for financial aid and just the application itself. And at that time to help myself translate, I would write everything out in these notebooks and then I'd follow it with a ruler line for line to make sure that I'd read every step and that I understood what was being asked of me. And I almost wish that I had someone that I could call and say, this is my interpretation of this process. Is this your interpretation as well? Um, so there's some things they just can't translate. So that was uh, how I sort of navigated that transition. And I ended up in the United States because I really, I could have support in Wisconsin through a family member. And when I got there, I realized that the campus was just too big for me. 
Uh, UW-Madison was always my dream school. I wanted to go there. And I got there and I realized that it was just too big. And I might not be as successful in such large cohorts. And I started to look at smaller schools, similar to the schools that I went to back in South Africa. So I ended up going to a small liberal arts women's college outside of Milwaukee. And it turned out to be the best decision that I've made education-wise. The liberal arts education was definitely a good fit for me. And I came from a culture where women really didn't feel empowered. And that helped me. I mean, the school really helps their graduates become transformative leaders and educators who change the world. And I definitely feel like my four years there helped change who I am today. You know, I am very much a global citizen. I'm proud to vote and do so many things that I don't think I would have ever known about had I not gone to the school I did. So I'm very thankful for that experience. And it was by chance. Somebody said, have you ever checked out this college? And I said, no, thank you. I've been in Catholic women's schools my entire life. That's not something I want to pursue. (laughs) And then once I set foot on the campus, it was so welcoming and so diverse And it was just a great fit. And I'm so thankful for that. Natasha, thank you so much for sharing. There were so many gems in there that I just want to make sure we maybe even pull out a little bit. You talked, it sounded like you did some OT on yourself, even finding some strategies to help you pick through applications and that it's really challenging some of those financial papers and you know, and then even picking the right school that fits your needs is a really big topic. Um, And it sounds like you really did that for yourself, navigating like what were the things that could help you be successful in the career path that you wanted. So um, yeah, just thank you so much for sharing. I I think you shared a lot of really helpful things right there. Um, Lindsay, do you have any similar or yeah, not so, necessarily similar, but mm-hmm. yeah. So because I grew up in a family where my uh, parents were both relatively educated, um, so like my my dad was a college professor, um, even though um, um, so so my dad was a college professor. So I think there was also like always a social expectation of you like going pursue higher education so um so that i know for sure um and also like in china if you're smart and if your english is good and if your family could kind of afford it then you go pursue uh, education beyond college abroad and there was interesting a hierarchy at that time i don't think it's as that much as of now but at that time it's like if you're a great student you go to the united states and if you're not great enough then you consider other countries like Europe and then there's like other hierarchies of like a Japan Korea other Asian countries or like Southeast Asia so there is kind of like sort of expectation if you're the most brilliant students you apply in the United States so that's how how why I did it and there wasn't really a lot of um, guidance as well like I didn't really understand the um, process at the beginning so there was a lot of online searching and there were so much uh, altruism online uh, community that's among like Chinese students writing about their experiences um, and about their experiences studying abroad and um, and picking different schools so for me I also have to consider the school rankings um, because um, because like in China people really don't know much about the school reputations per se so um, so if I have to return to China then they're their like HR will pull up their school information and see the ranking and then decide where that school is. Um, that's how they can judge. Um, so um, so we just did like we basically how we did it is just pull the US news ranking and see the school ranking and the major ranking and then you apply from there. Um, and for me there's another also another consideration of financial wise because I'm not qualified for financial aid. So um so I try to apply for the programs that would be more likely to give out scholarship and also the cost of living uh, is also another consideration. Um, so, and what's also interesting is that I, 
did get into one of the program at University of Chicago. I still think that would be a great program for me, but I missed the deadline to reply for confirm the scholarship. So they withdraw, withdraw the scholarship. Um, that's how I actually ended up being <laughs> at Washington University, which turns out to be really great. But but that's, I think, the gesture how a lot of the nuances um, was not really clear to me at that time. Um, and also because I was, uh, I really enjoyed doing research since undergrad. So I was looking into a program that has a more research focus because like social work is a more kind of a professional degrees. But I was hoping to understand in which programs uh, I'm more likely to get research opportunities um, because for some programs, it's like way more clinical and students don't really do like research assistantships, stuff like that. So um, both of your stories are so very interesting to me. And I think one of the things that is most interesting is that you both um, talked about differences, like you, how you were making decisions were got kind of guided by different things related to both like, you know, how and where you were raised and then the the context that you were going to either be working in later. Right. But the other thing that I was taking out of this was um, like, there was an element in both of your stories about potentially being somewhere else or, you know, like for you, Natasha, finding out that that first school was not a great fit. And um, one of the things that I think is like a, uh, an important takeaway to me is that a, like, we're not necessarily locked in, right? We make these choices and sometimes it's a great fit and sometimes it's not, or sometimes the choice we think is the best fit for whatever reason is not. And you end up being at a great place, Lingzia Washu, because, you know, wow. Then we get to work with you. <laughs> but I mean, like thinking about, you know, just how those decisions fall down. I think we put so much weight on like making the right choice you know, at the gate when we don't necessarily have all the information that sometimes understanding that like, you know what, I can figure out that this is a good fit or not a good fit is such an important lesson that I'm taking from both of you all stories, especially looking at where you are today, right? Like you had these kind of different paths and it worked out and it sounds like you guys are both kind of where you want to be, right? And in these great places. Um, so anyway, I just thought that was awesome. I don't know if you have any other takeaways before I ask another question, Catherine. Actually, I, I would like to circle back, you know, I think that discussion of the fit is so important, because even though I thought I did all my homework for my OTD program, that turned out not to be a great fit for me. While it was a great fit for my classmates, it wasn't a great fit for me because I didn't realize how fortunate I was to have the education I did when I was in Milwaukee area and just being in an area that's so diverse and really metropolitan, and then going to a small community in rural Ohio, and what a struggle that would be for me going into the doctoral program, being the only student from another country, and what a challenge that was. And so I I had this kind of grief process as I got there, thinking, oh my goodness, I did all my homework, and this isn't a great fit, and now I'm stuck here, you know? And so I have pearl of wisdom I would give anyone is if a program does not have an interview process where you get to interview with the faculty there, that is something to really keep in mind because sometimes you read about faculty and you think, oh, you know, these sound like great humans. I really could learn so much. And I did. I learned so much there, but it just wasn't the same experience I had. Um, in undergrad. And so that was a little bit of a shock. And another thing coming from uh, from South Africa is I didn't realize that you had so many geographical differences in this country. So this is my first like embarrassing immigrant story. I thought that every place was like San Francisco because that was the that was the city that I lived in when I arrived in the U.S., and then as I started navigating outside of California and traveling, I was like, oh, my goodness, what's just happened here? You know, I that was a big shock to me. I, I have so many embarrassing immigrant stories, but that the culture shock of going from San Francisco to Toledo, Ohio was huge, you know, and just the language, too, because if you think about those of us who are constantly translating 
something simple can throw you off. So a common one in occupational therapy or something in healthcare is we have a lot of acronyms for things. And so when I got to my program in undergrad, people kept talking about soda, soda, and I was couldn't understand the context. There was the Student Occupational Therapy Association, and I just learned the differences between soda and pop, right? Because that's that's a, a, a difference. Yeah, so difference in, yeah. in my mind, I'm like, why do they keep talking about this can of soda <laughs> in this context? You know, and so that even with translation, sometimes you get caught up on this one thing and people have gone on and talked for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I'm still back here trying to picture this can of soda and how it fits into the conversation. And so those are things that people often forget or, you know, just the cultural difference in meeting someone that grew up in a fast paced culture. So my first encounters with a group of people from different places on the East Coast were very different than my experiences with my Southern colleagues, where the pacing is just so different. So here you are trying to acculturate and fit in wherever you are, and eventually you just realize you just have to be who you are and figure the rest out. So so that was that was very interesting for me about the graduate experience. I wish that I had an opportunity to do a little bit more research and find a better fit because I think it's so important for student success, especially international student success, where you're already struggling with a sense of belonging. And then you go into a space that might not be as welcoming or people have never encountered someone from Africa, for example, and everyone brings their own bias to the table. And so, you know, I, I had a couple of, of experiences where people had only seen some things on television about Africa. So they made all these assumptions about my life in Africa that weren't necessarily the picture of my life, you know, and there was a lot of stereotyping. So that was an interesting experience and sharing that, yes, South Africa has a lot of the same things that we do in this country. You know, we have ATMs, restaurants, and all those sorts of things. So that was hard. I think people pictured more of a jungle and maybe a little bit more of a primitive lifestyle. So again, so many gems in what you just said. I feel like, um, but I, I thank you for that. I think you're right. Um, you know, thinking about fit is important. And, uh, and and I think you're right too, because you don't, you can't always, make adjustments in the moment. And so I'm a little bit curious um, about, you talked a little bit about kind of dealing with the grief of feeling like, oh man, this program's not maybe the best fit for me, but like other things that you did to kind of cope and still be successful and like maybe resources that universities have had for, for that or for other kind of challenges that you found specific to your experience being from another country. Um, so that's for both of you, like, but specific to your OTD school, um, not best fit experience. I'm curious about that as well. Like, how did you, um, cope? cause I think sometimes as students, you, you know, we get to places and we feel like, oh man, I wish I had done X, but I have to stay here. So like, what are things that we, you know, you can do to make the best of it and still do your best and kind of be your best in that moment, even though. So I don't know if that, there's several questions baked in there. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the first thing I tried to do was see if there were any student organizations for international students. But the graduate program that I was in really focused on the undergraduate students. And they were just starting to develop resources for graduate students. And we were two completely different places and I, I didn't feel as comfortable mingling with the undergraduate students at that point because our lived experiences were so different. And it was a campus with a lot of sororities and fraternities. And I just didn't have an interest in that. And I just didn't have time for that. And then the next thing I did was try to find any other South Africans in the area, which I came up short. The closest group of South Africans at that time was three hours south in Columbus, and then I thought, well, you know what, I'm going to do something else. And I ended up finding an absolute gem. It was a fitness community that was Black-owned. 
And so 98% of the people who attended these fitness classes were women of color. And it was life changing to be in that group. And it only, I could only make it work for two semesters because towards the end, when, you know, I had all my research groups going and doing, you know, the kind of study I did required me to do a lot of hours. I, it ended up being like 135 sessions in the short time I was in grad school. And so I, I just stuck with this group of women and I, I felt that sense of belonging. They became my support system, my family. And thank goodness technology had advanced because I would call my family via different apps. And I was very thankful for that because I think WhatsApp really changed the way I could interact with my family. And I finally had access to stable internet and affordable internet because that was also a barrier for me when I first moved to the United States. Now, by the time I had that one call to my family, you know, like the postal system was so delayed. So we catch up on the one call I could afford every few weeks. So I, I was thankful for technology to keep me in touch with my family, but I had to find something more. And this fitness group it was something that I just searched for. I thought, well, fitness has always been a good way to keep me mentally healthy. So I'm going to seek that out. And it turned out to be such an incredible experience. And to hear the stories of the families who were attending the groups and then who had children that were like me, a lot of them were first gen. And so they understood that kind of role and process. And it was really helpful. And I'm, I'm really curious to learn more about Lindsay's um, story here too. Sure. Um, yeah, so there are some resources usually university would have, like, for example, the office for international students or scholars. But I, my piece of advice is also always take their advice with, a, like, with, how do you say, like, a, a grant of salt? Because even though they're working with international students, they still, like, there's a lot of staff changes and um, a lot of people are way too busy sometimes. So I have learned so many cases in which they gave out incorrect advices or um, or incorrect information that really results in like a life-changing result. For example, someone couldn't really get a job offer because they were advised that it's not possible, but in fact, they later found out it is actually doable. So that's like one lesson we learn is to always like rely on yourself um, because you are eventually responsible for your career and your personal life. Because I have also like heard of stories of lawyers or um, or tax person, like professionals gave out wrongful advice for international students because a lot of the things you encounter would be unique to international students and they may not have the best answer um so like always do your I, I think like always do your research um there's so much information online there's so many like international students around online um so that I think um those sometimes you will be surprised will be more reliable information than what a professional would give out um and I was also I relate to a lot of what Natasha said I joined um the my master's um, the program has 20% of international student population. That was great because I feel like, oh, I have people who I share uh, similar experiences, even though they are so diverse, not to say like international students are all like this or that. Um, so I think that diversity really gives me uh, confidence of like building kind of friendship among international students and also trying to reach out uh, to like more of the domestic students and also like faculty members are more likely to have worked with international students before, even though my experiences have always also be that um, a lot of times faculties, uh, even with the best intention, they are not aware of a lot of the challenges international students are facing because they really don't know about the regulations or policies. Um, so sometimes they will take, it, take something for granted, but I have to communicate and let them know that that option is not 
viable for me because like for example um we have to search for internship or practicum and there's like specific rules for that um, and also like we need visa sponsorship after employment so like finding a job would be much difficult for us but sometimes they forget about that um and then they will just take for granted for whatever will happen they will ask ask you to just chill just don't worry about it but then we have to be mindful that yes there are like realistic barriers out there um in real life that prevent me from pursuing um opportunities so i think i feel like you kind of touched on this a little bit but i'm just curious what um you kind of wish universities would do better and like what would what they would offer or what um specific kind of what you wish uh, you just mentioned one of the things you felt like folks should know but are there are there anything specific that you're like man they if they just had this it would be that much easier I think it's hard because like I tend to understand them like it's all situational I really wish that they would provide more of the correct information um, because there are just there are so much like unfortunate events if you see someone like there, there was one student who got a tenure track position offer and then declined it and then um eventually realized oh it's doable i think that that's like oh her whole career trajectory was changed and um the office may not even apologize for that uh, because they think it's only a, a like a advice piece um so um and also like sometimes um i really wish like it's not across all the universities so just speaking from my experiences and my um friends experiences sometimes they don't really have the best attitudes i know they are working with a lot of different international students um but i remember vividly sometimes like there was um several incidences i have to cc their supervisor um because i just don't think that's the way that how i wish i was treated um and then the attitude definitely changed um, because I see, see their supervisor. That was just unfortunate. I, I, I think it's not just a, about international students. I'm sure like a lot of students might have experienced similar things, but I think I was the more proactive person. I always asked what I was hoping for, but that wasn't really the style of a lot of, um, like my peers coming from China. So then it was like more like harder on them. Um, and like reaching out to different faculty and explain the situation. I think uh, sometimes they might just shut down um, because they feel like people don't understand. I think that's a, a really good point to make because, you know, I had similar experiences and because I just had this wonderful experience being in a woman's college and I felt a little bit more empowered, you know, to advocate for myself. Then when you meet people who are not used to that, you can be as professional and kind in your approach and your delivery, but because you're still a student, they, you could definitely feel that there was a power differential. There always is when you're a student. And then I was sort of labeled a little bit of a troublemaker, even though the I was always gentle, kind in my delivery but I always asked a lot of questions and that seemed to annoy the people more than anything else. It's like, oh my goodness, here comes the squeaky wheel. But the problem was that I just wasn't understanding the information that was coming back. And so I'm asking clarifying questions, but that was seen as a more of, you're questioning my authority and I've said this, but it still wasn't very clear to me. And that made for you know, an uncomfortable relationship. And it was just my lack of understanding with translation. So even though I had the best intentions, it wasn't always received that way. And so I almost feel like a lot of places should have faculty who have had international experiences, traveled to other countries, worked with diverse people, hire people who's, you know, who are representative of their student body so that they understand, you know, a lot of times I think people forget that so many of us wear so many other hats and have so many other roles before we even set foot 
on the campus. You know, for many uh, first-gen students, we're, we're doing so much outside of the classroom. You know, we're, we're working so many jobs. We're caregiving. For me, I know I was always worried about my family members back in South Africa. That was another layer. When I lost a family member and I couldn't go home for the funeral, it happened to be in the middle of my final exams. And I asked if I could take the exam, like even early, you know, and it, there wasn't this understanding that I would have liked, you know, it was nothing out of the ordinary. I was a good student, but because I asked so many questions, it, it seemed to irritate the faculty and that, that was hard for me. And that's why I thought, you know, I I wish I would have gone to schools that had an interview process because then I could have asked different questions, asked about the faculty's experience with working with diverse populations or people from other countries, because I didn't realize that the translation piece would become so, so challenging. You know, I just wanted to get my answer, my questions answered, and it was more frustration, I think. Thank you both for sharing those stories, I think, really hit home with ways that that faculty could do better and universities could do better and how our actions, even like Lingzi, as you said, maybe not intentional, are causing harm um, and and really affecting people's career trajectories and quality of life and well-being. So so first, thank you both for sharing all of that. And both of you had also, you've mentioned some things that I think would be really helpful for other people as they're considering types of programs and, um, you know, what might be helpful, I think. Uh, but I'm just wondering if there's anything else that you'd like to share that might be essential uh, as others are considering what school to go to or um or any resources that they might be looking for. I know, um, Natasha, you talked about like class size and campus size and things like that, that might be important. And uh, Lingzi, you talked about other things like having um, access to people that are participating in, in current research. And you've both also talked about external things to the university, like friend groups and other international students or exercise groups as being essential. Um, and I, I really just think all of that is is so important, but I'm wondering if there's anything else that you'd like to share that um, could help a, help somebody identify if a universe if a university or specific program is a good fit for them. Yeah, so like so that also relates to my current experiences transitioning to New York University uh, from Washington University in the Midwest um, because. Um, like my master program, that's my first, ex that's my first time ever going to the United States. And that's my first impression of how higher education was like. And to be honest, the school I attended to has a lot of resources. For example, we have one or two different computer labs. We have a dedicated school library. Um, we have like, eventually we have like three different buildings because the school is big. And um, there's like a lot of faculties, research centers to work with. I sort of take that for granted um, because I thought, oh, that's the standard of higher education in the United States. But then came in, coming to New York, everything um, is very different. Um, like NYU doesn't have a campus. I knew that, but um, but still, like when finally arriving here, um, it's still different. Um, I feel like, oh, okay, this school is like, it's so small. It doesn't really have a lot of the, resources that I thought would would be there. Um, so I think that's just a uh, kind of being mindful of um, what it really would be different based on like the, the geographic differences and the, the school culture differences. Uh, so I was still kind of surprised even though I was fully preparing myself um, to be here. Um, but like as an international student, um, there's also another layer that we, um, it's very unlikely for us to quit the school because of the visa issues. Because once once you leave the school, 
and you don't have another school to attend to, then you have to like return to your home country. So that's like another layer that I know a lot of international students have to consider, uh, especially in PhD program, if the advisor, um, advisee relationship really went sour, a lot of them still um, kind of tolerate that toxic relationship because they feel like they don't have another option. Um, but but I think that's still like, it's kind of a mindful of, because I, I was just talking to a student who just joined not at this school, like, like in another city, but he was not aware of the consequences if he wanted to quit now. So after I told him what would happen afterwards, um, then he decided to not leave the university, but he, he was like having a hard time. Um, so there was just a lot of layers additionally to your school experiences that international students have to consider. Um, not to say that I support being in a not so good relationship because of the visa issues, but it's like the reality. Thank you for sharing. Another another thing that I think is really important when it comes to the resources, if you want some specifics, something that really helped me was access to a writing center because I was new to education in this country. I didn't know that my school had one. And in undergrad, they didn't have it as accessible for graduate students, because I think the assumption is that graduate students maybe don't need it as much. But in my undergrad, because English was my second language, I was told early on that if you want to go to graduate school, you have to be a better writer and you have to write well in English. And I spent four hours a week at the writing center working on my writing. And it was a free resource. And people have a hard time today understanding that, yes, English is still my second language because I practiced the language so much. And I spent four hours every week for four years working on my writing skills. And so I'm very thankful to the Writing Center at Mount Mary University. And then at my current university, we have a learning specialist on our team. And that has been a great resource. Now on the other side of it as a faculty, I could see where so many of our international students could benefit from having access to a learning specialist. And I see the difference that's making in the lives of the uh, students in our current program. So that has been really beneficial you know, to help. And then peer-to-peer tutoring. There's so much power in peer-to-peer mentorship and, and tutoring. So that was definitely a huge difference from my undergraduate group to my graduate group, because it was a shift in mindset. When I got to grad school, there seemed to be a lot more competition. And I couldn't understand that because I came from this communal empowerment model, you know, everyone said, oh, why would you want to go to a woman's college? It's going to be all the sin fighting, cat fighting. It's going to be terrible. That was not my experience. We all wanted to help each other. We all knew that we were going to be successful if we worked together. And then I got to grad school and I couldn't even find a study group within my first few weeks because there was so much competition. And I thought, well, I could understand this level of competition in undergrad because we all wanted the grades to get into grad school. But here we are. We've sort of arrived. Like, I don't understand what this mentality is about. And and that was hard. Just even trying to connect with people to form my own study groups was challenging in graduate school. And I think that was where I really struggled because I realized early on that as an international student, that the study group was really helpful because you got to hear the voices of two or three different people and you got that repetition of something in English over and over and over again. And then I got to graduate school and I noticed a little bit of a difference and whatever took my native English speaking classmates, maybe an hour to do would take me about an in two hours, two and a half hours. My processing speed wasn't the same. And that was frustrating for some, but I always ended up with good, good grades and good products, but it was a result of a lot of work. So it took me just 
a little bit extra. Always. I always had to pin in a little bit more effort, a little bit more work um, than other people. And they're like, oh, this should take you about five to 10 minutes. And I would just giggle. And I do the same thing now. A colleague will say, oh, that should take you about 20 minutes to score. I'm like, no, it'll take me about 40. (laughs) Let's plan on that. So it's just things that you don't realize are challenges for your colleagues and your students who don't speak the same language as a as a native language. Yeah, that reminds me of how I was benefiting from the also the professional development services, even though um, like it could only help you to a certain level, right? It's not like it's not going to make your resume like really stand out or great because a lot of them are just doing like a proofreading for some suggestions, but that's actually really helpful. I think, especially for international students, uh, and that would also boost your confidence in terms of handing out cover letters and resumes, um, even though it's kind of a basic services. Um, But our school also did a lot of the networking kind of events, which was very uncomfortable for me at that time, because like for us, I think all the, now I get it. Um, but like at that time, I thought all those professional networking events was so fake. It's like a faking relationship. You went there for agenda. You you were not trying to build like sincere kind of relationship kind of thing. But then I, after some acculturation, I kind of get used to it. But like in reflection, I think that was kind of a events that pushed me to get out of my comfort zone and put myself out there more to get used to that American kind of styles. If international students really want to eventually find a job and stay here, right? Um, And also like another aspect, I think is because I did not realize how much programs could vary between even with the same major, with the same like master's, um, with like similar structure, they're all uh, accredited, but the like structure could vary a lot. Uh, like using an example for social work, we have to do like a thousand a thousand hours of practicum. Some programs would assign your practicum sites based on your preferences, of course. But then, like for now, for my program, you have to find them yourselves, and. Um, and like eventually they, they have like professional services to help you find practicum that, but that some people find useful, some people not finding useful, but that kind of also forced us to practice our interview skills, practice the application process a lot uh, and be more prepared after my master's. And that was like really stressful at that time, because like when I entered the program, I remember in October, all my like domain students or are, some of them already landed like practicum for next semester. I was like, oh my God, I haven't started because I was still adjusting to all the academic things. Um, so I, it was very stressful. I feel like very behind um, because there was just so much going on. But like then in reflection, um, that makes me feel so much more confident comparing to my friends who are in a more structured program where they arrange practicum for you. And like a lot of people don't, really even have to apply, apply per se. And then when they are really on, in the real world going on the, the job market, and then it's like way more challenging for them. Um, yeah. That, um, that's great. I feel like there are a lot of different kind of ideas and suggestions and resources um, built in there. We just have a couple more questions. I know we're, we're getting close to time. Um, I, I, we're wondering a little bit about just your experience kind of navigating laws and regulations in the U.S. versus um, the countries that you're from or other places you've been and were there things that were really different or difficult and things that were, you know, or that things that were the similar, the same? I think tax, that was the thing that was so different Um, because when I joined here, we don't, we still don't have, uh, we didn't have individual tax reporting in China. So like tax is never a thing. Um, so it was done. I actually, I have to admit with guilt that I reported myself as US citizen wrongly like the first year because I was doing a research with TurboTax online software, uh, software filing. And, um, and um, I thought, oh, that's great. You can file your taxes online. But then after I filed my taxes, I realized, oh, um, they actually shouldn't provide services to me as a 
international student. So we have to do the paper filing. Um, they will give you like a software kind of to guide you through the different steps, but then eventually you have to download the forms and then you mail it out. So that's like very different. And also because like for international student, once you have been in the United States for certain years, then you will be counted as resident alien for tax purposes. Um, but there were exceptions and there were different rules. And also because the international student office don't give out tax advice. And I just don't feel like, oh, I have the money to hire a really a tax professional. So there was a lot of like online searching um, and asking around type of situation. Um, even like coming now um, at the New York University, we always, I was just answering people's tax questions um, via like social media just now today um, because there are so many questions um, and it's getting more and more complicated when you move, like when you live in the States like long enough. Um, and also like a change, change status, like for example, I change my student to work, work to student, and then how that gives like a have the different tax implications too. Yeah, I, I, I was going to share something similar to that. You know, people don't realize how stressful it is to navigate those changes in status and what that means. And you just are so ambivalent, like, am I going to be able to stay in this country? You know, what does this mean for my career and where I'm going? And it's not easy to navigate. And even the language around that, while you know, we're becoming more inclusive, but for the longest time, like when you had to go to a physical immigration building, the way people were processed in and out of those buildings, you know, it was like herding cattle and all the aliens go over here. And if you went in with a U.S. friend or family, you were separated because, you know, the aliens had to go to one side and just the wait times there and you're just not treated really well. Um, so that's something to just be mindful of when working with international students. There's so much that we bring with us and we're just trying our best sometimes not to fall apart because we have all these things outside of school that we're trying to navigate. And the one thing I will say that I find was really helpful here for a lot of classmates, or even myself, was that you have laws here to protect students, which is really helpful. So students who need accommodations, for example, like in, in, my, in my country, we didn't have accommodations for students with uh, differing abilities when, when I was growing up. And here you have access to that. So I want to say, well, we've talked about maybe some challenges. There are things that are great. And I also want to focus on some of those things. I mean, I was a person that I didn't even recognize until I came to the U.S. that I did have learning differences, you know. So, yes, there was a translation piece, but I also had learning differences that I didn't know until I got to school, you know, when I had a really great admissions counselor and said, you know, I, I know you didn't have access to a lot in Africa. You know, here are some tests you can take. This is um, the Office of Accommodations, and this is what they can do if you are indeed needing this. And there are laws to protect students. I had no idea that was even a thing. So I, I will say that you have uh, some great resources here if you can tap into them. Yeah. And I was. Like, I know a lot of international students were really hesitant to reach out, um, but I had the mindset that I paid so much tuition for the school I go to, so I should be taking advantage of all the resources offered me to for free. Um, because, like, when I first, like, office hours are also new to us. Um, I know, like, a lot of students don't feel comfortable scheduling office hours. They think, oh, maybe I'm asking, like, stupid questions and, um, like, that would ruin my kind of image in the professor or stuff like that but I was thinking that I am paying like a few thousand dollars for the classes I'm taking and and I would hope that I could get out of um, that classroom as much as possible so I intentionally force myself to schedule office hours sometimes just to random talk to professors and treat it as like an English practicing session. Uh, I think that's totally okay because that's that's their responsibility and that's their job, right? 
Yeah, I I definitely agree. I I was someone who took advantage of that. Yes, I got a sense that sometimes people might be irritated, but I was okay with that because I wanted to do well. I wanted to understand the material. And so I I think that's a, a really good point was really helpful to me as a student as well. So I think that- and also just so you know, international students also pay a lot more in tuition. A lot more in tuition. I mean, my tuition bill was $13,000 more per semester. That so. depends on the schools, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I did not know that. I um, I think that point about kind of getting to know professors and going to office hours is an important point for like everybody, right? International student or not. Just because we think about that as like a time just to ask questions. But when you're thinking about networking, especially if you want to go to graduate school or do other things, that's a critical time to get to know people and to let them get to know you. Um, I've started to tell students, like even in a syllabus, you know, come to office hours, even if you just want to chat so that I can get to know you, because I feel like it has to be explicit. Or we think like, like you were saying, a lot of students will think like, oh, you know, I don't have any questions or it's a silly question or whatever, but I think it sounds like, you know, networking is important for everybody, but listening to some of the, you know, various challenges, barriers, things that are, you know, kind of extra steps that you have to do, making those connections might even be more important. Um, So I think that was an excellent piece. Thank you both for sharing so much with us. It seems like that we even have more that we could continue to discuss. Maybe we'll need a part two at some point. Right. Um, just because I feel that I've I've learned a whole lot in the in this past hour. Are there any questions that we haven't asked that we missed that you'd like to share or things that you'd like to share with us now before we wrap up? I think one of the questions you asked on, on the sheet was, you know, what were some fears that you have? And I think it's not just um, an issue with graduate students from other countries, but just the, can I do this? You know, everyone has some level of imposter syndrome. And it's really nice to hear stories of people who have done this. You know, right now I'm looking at Lindsay and thinking, wow, this is so amazing. Here she is, you know, in a PhD program from another country doing it. So that representation does matter. And I think there's always this fear of, oh, did I make the right choice? Is this a good fit? You know, how do you vet that program? And it's all so hard, you know, but I think going back to it, I would definitely do more of that interviewing, even if it's just picking up the phone, you know, because email is so hard to read, you know, what people are thinking, feeling tone, all that stuff. So just have conversations with people. And I think that's why that networking piece as challenging as it can be is so important. And overcoming those fears by picking up the phone. Like I, I, narrowed my school down, but it was a lot of, you know, let me do some additional research on those people. Let me see who's gone through the program. Let me call the director of the program and introduce myself and just ask for an informational interview. So ask for what you need. That's right. Yeah. Thank you both um, for this. Thank you, Ling Zhu, also for Ling Zhi for, you know, just sharing and uh, for this opportunity for all of us to be here together and learn together. So thank you. Thank you, guys. This is great. Um, I, like Catherine, learned a ton. So I, I too, am thinking about a part two. So don't be surprised <laughs> when you get that request. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you both. Thank you for joining us today. Check out our other episodes to hear more. You can find the first season on YouTube under Washington University Program and Occupational Therapies channel under the First Fridays for OT Research playlist. And more episodes of Demystifying Research linked under the Research tab on the Washington University OT webpage at ot.wustl.edu. That's ot.wustl.edu.
Send us your ideas for future episodes at domesticifyingresearch at woostle.edu.